It's Tuesday the 17th of January 2017. I am still Robin Yellow and this is Tectasm episode 43, your plastic pal who's fun to be with. And with me again because nobody else is as plastic is James Woodall. Plastic fantastic. How are you doing Mr Yellow? Yeah, very good, very good. Yes, uh, I've uh, put CES behind me now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, moved on to the next thing. And uh, James, if you will indulge me this week, let's take a look at the EU wanting to grant legal status to plastic people, Apple raising its prices, and Facebook testing fake news filtering. And we'll be judging these stories and some others to tell you if they are a tectasm, which is a blend of tech for technology and tasm for phantasm, something that exists only in a person's mind. So without further waffle, let James get on with the show. So in The Independent this week, Mae Bullman has written, um, as he mentioned in the title, about um, the EU voting on whether or not robots should be declared as, and I quote, electric persons. So what they're electronic persons, electronic persons. Yes. So what they're effectively getting at, thank you for the correction, is um, is that if a let's say if a if a normal person, if that I'm allowed to use that phrase, makes a mistake uh, or does something wrong, they are liable for that. If a company makes a mistake, uh, then they as an entity are liable for that as a whole. And um, what this uh, EU Parliament proposal um, is that if robots do something wrong they should of of course be held responsible for the acts or omissions that they may do um so i mean it's still in draft it's uh tabled by maddie delvo stairs a socialist mep from luxembourg and basically what she's saying is um the uh the rules are insufficient in the current technological revolution so what do you think about that well, I like, I mean, and I've always liked the fact that the EU generally and Europeans specifically um, have tackled these difficult social issues ahead of everybody else. We're always thinking in Europe, uh, yes, the UK is still part of Europe, yes. about these sort of grand visions. And I think actually we should be doing more planning, James, to prepare for the uh, legal future of uh, AIs, bots, robots things at the moment where clearly we can anticipate because of the advance of technology and our experience of technology that these things you know there are going these conflicts are going to happen a robot car is going to kill somebody actually planning for it legally starting now seems like a quite a good idea to me james what it, do you think it does but you know if a person does something wrong they get punished prison fines whatever a company does something wrong they generally get fined a robot does something wrong what? I mean, do you tell it off? Naughty robot. Well, so one of the, I, I guess one of the things they might want to look at is, um, you know, if, so this goes to the nature of what constitutes a being. So does, let's take a, a dumb animal, a mouse. Does a mouse have any rights? Um, oh, I don't know. Well, it's got some, isn't it? You can't go around no, just yeah, it's got rights, lopping not, the heads off mice willy-nilly just for a laugh. Rights, but not responsibilities, right? Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Maybe what they're trying to drive here is behaviourable behaviorable programming and inhib, uh, inhibitors 
uh, that companies will put into robots so they can adhere to the law. Because at the moment, actually, the people that are making these robots are having to make value judgments. And the example I gave about robot cars killing people um, is, is quite a good one because somewhere somebody has already written the code which is going to decide who dies you know, a pavement full of pensioners or a baby in a pram. Uh, they've already written the code to do that. Or if they haven't explicitly written the code, they've defined the parameters under which these robot vehicles will run. And I would say that given that that has already happened, it's the responsibility of the legis legislature and also socially responsible states to understand the other side of the coin, which is, you know, who's at fault here? But wouldn't that go back to, wouldn't that be part of, say, a corporate entity being at fault? Um, because they are the ones, say, yeah, you know, for example, in, you know, in my day job, we write, if we write software and products, you know, we're responsible to a degree for what happens to them. And Well, here's a difficult, so, and of course, science fiction writers have been writing about this nonsense for, for 50 years, 100 years, particularly Isaac Asimov. If you, if you create an artificial nervous system or some kind of AI brain that takes the factors it has and and you can't actually show the specific piece of logic that would deliver a predictable outcome, would, you know, this robot dog in one particular set of circumstances do A and in another set of circumstances do B, i.e. could it be judged to be as unpredictable or difficult to predict as a human being and therefore perhaps needs a bit of protection because remember law is not only to protect you the victim but to protect the individual as well so it works kind of both ways um, uh, and actually by setting some rules and some by, by saying that if you create a robot dog it will have some rights it kind of uh, you, you know it kind of it forces you to think about the moral conundrum of creating artificial life. I don't have the answers. I've got no flipping idea. But I know there's a hundred years of sci-fi which thinks it knows the answer to this. Yeah, definitely. Um, it feels very academic at the moment. Like, uh, not not discussion for discussion's sake. It's definitely useful um, for those questions. But, I mean, um, a robot has a, a right. You know, you you can't abuse it. But then it doesn't have a consciousness. So... You know, if you take a company or you take a a person, there's detrimental effects if you're mean to it, for example. I mean, if you're mean to a robot, well, it doesn't understand the concept of that. Well, what happens if it does? What happens in order to do its job better? It understands it has a consciousness. So say you've got a robot, you know, uh, consciousness that does grief counselling and it says something rude and upsetting can you just smash it up uh, or can you actually call for its neural net to be shut down or can't you? Uh, I don't know. If you, it's just an algorithmic piece of electronics, then no one cares. But what they're saying is that actually the, the rate of progress with AI is so much that actually we're going to have to start considering the impact of killing an electronic life form. So you're right, it's t a totally academic exercise. And the um, Luxembourg socialist MP, Maddie Delvaux-Sterres, uh, is obviously trying to make a name for herself um, by tabling this. But I, I, think it's, I, I think it's interesting because while 
you know, we can have a little bit of a titter about it now and call it a massive tech tasm and a stupid waste of time. In a few years' time, we're going to have to start seriously thinking about this stuff. Yep. Oh, I don't know. It feels a bit tech tasm-y today, to be honest. But Well, feeling a bit tech tasm-y uh, is all we're going to have to be able to take from that one, James, because I'm going to move on. Our friends at Apple, uh, Raz reported by Mac Rumors this week, <clears throat> are hiking the price in their UK app store by at least 25%. Why do you think this is, James? Um, I want to thank David Cameron, perhaps, for this. <laughs> thank you, Dave. Dave, of course, this is to do with Brexit. Now, in the United Kingdom, Apple is having to raise the price prices for its apps and in-app purchases by 25% in light of the weak pound exchange rate, which has been down against the dollar by 19% since the Brexit vote. And, of course, Apple report their earnings in dollars. Therefore, in order to keep the earnings up, they've had to boost the uh, cost of um, 79p apps are going up to 99p, and £1.49 apps are going up to £1.99. Um, now, subscription prices won't be affected. I wonder if the cost of iPhones will be affected uh, as well, James. It, I think they'll probably have to be because, I mean, Apple makes them, in, even though they're made in China, they're, they're priced on the dollar. So, um, you know, because all of those big companies like Foxconn and whatever else, they work in dollars. So, Well, um, the Chinese currency is pegged to the dollar, isn't it? Yeah, so, so I think um, if it doesn't happen for this iPhone, you may find the next one is more expensive than the last one with no explanation. Because I suppose there's a difference between making an app from 79p to 99p to changing a phone from 500 to 600 pounds, right? You know. Well, I think at the kind of ludicrous rates that Apple phones are charged, uh, nobody's going to notice, so I don't think it'll affect it. But yes, I, I mean, you know, if you, if you slap 25% onto the cost of an iPhone... People are going to notice, right? I mean, they're going to notice. The thing is, the cost of all the Android phones are going to go up 25% as well. Why? Because they're all made in China too, and China's currency is pegged to the US dollar, yada, yada, yada. Ah, yeah. I, I, I think, all right, maybe the story here is, of course, that while the pound has gone down only 16, I say only, it's gone down 16% as of this morning against the dollar since the Brexit vote. Uh, Apple are putting up their prices by 25%. So either this means that they are anticipating a bigger move or 79p rounds up nicely to 99p and 149 rounds up nicely to £1.99. I suspect it's probably the latter, don't you think? Yeah, um, it probably would. I mean, people are commenting, of course, that it's now in line with the US pricing. But of course, the US pricing, isn't it slightly different because... <coughs> The, they don't include tax. Yeah, in the UK we do build in tax, in the US they don't. So, I mean, it's still slightly cheaper than it would be in the US. But, um, I mean, a few people, though, are commenting in the um, in, in the comments further below, and I do enjoy um, the clip from Anchorman as you scroll down in the comment section um, of this particular article, um, that um, have somebody asks, and if the pound recovers, they'll go back up, right? Oh, yes, the good old price goes up, but it never goes down argument, yeah. yeah. I think uh, I think that's what we should be calling the tech tassum on. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right there. Uh, uh, who was that? Andy91. Yeah. That uh, almost certainly will be done that way. Also, these are digital goods. And, you know, why? I mean, they are digital goods, right? I mean, it's not like anybody's losing money on these. These goods have been made. 
These electronic products have been made and they carry no cost of maintenance. They exist in the ether at a very low cost, the cost of storing the original code and replicating a few copies of the actual executable around the world so they can be installed. There's no actual uptick in the running costs for this. Well, it so depends this is on a the app, though, right? If you're buying an app where for 99 cents it gets maintained and you get new versions every three months, well, there is a cost there, isn't there? Because there's a cost to the, to the developer to uh, to keep doing that it depends on the app right if it's if it's a one-off payment for an app that never changes agreed but remember there's a person behind that yeah but then you've got to remember the economics at play here putting it up to 99p will reduce the number of apps people install simply because that's the ludicrous way that people think of is course that it goes up a pound then less people so actually they could be not increasing the market at all um, uh, uh, and making any difference whatsoever. So um, I'm a bit f stunned by this one. Well, I think the, the whole thing is stupid. The interesting thing, though, with what I just said um, is the developer doesn't actually determine the price. So um, Apple, if that, if what you say happens, which is mm. less apps are um, are sold, Apple putting the price up is hurting the developers, and even and they have no say over that. Okay. Well, yeah, so, um, okay, let's move on. Um, in Engadget this week, John Fingas, we've certainly spoken of a couple of his articles before, is talking about how Facebook are testing fake news filtering outside of the US. So fake news, it's been in the real news uh, quite a lot over the last week, um, where a lot of people are saying that fake news stories, um, i.e. where something is a ridiculous headline but is dressed up on a news site to make it look real, uh, was a major factor in the recent U.S. presidential election, um, and um, there's a couple of um, a couple of obviously concerns with that, you know, because people are vulnerable and easily led. Um, that's a discussion for another time. But basically, Facebook has been targeted by certain law enforcement media types and whatever for basically saying you've allowed this to happen because people post anything on Facebook, right? It's um, it's a swamp, and it needs to be drained. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> My question is, how would you actually, how would you spot it? Well, supposedly, what this says is, so Facebook are trialing this in Germany because um, the country is proposing a new law that would impose hefty fines on websites for failing to take action against fake news. So what Facebook are doing for this trial is whenever somebody posts a news story... I don't quite know how you determine what's news and what's not. It's automatically sent to a third-party fact-checker. And if that story is deemed false, Facebook will flag it. And what they will then do is if you um, if you decide to share that, excuse me, that story, you'll be warned. And it won't be automatically prioritized because the Facebook news feed is... Um, there's some careful algorithms behind it that determine what rise up the page and what what doesn't. So, 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 I mean, it's a bit vague. Um, third party fact checker is the answer to your question. Yes, but it, so what you're saying is that humans are the only people that can, are the only the the only device by which you can spot this stuff is to have some humans review it and take a view. Yes. Let me give you an example of some fake news stories. See if you can spot them. Um. Right. Newsweek reported in May the 9th last year that interrogators had desecrated a, a Koran at the Guantanamo Bay site. True or false? Uh, 
fake or real? Oh, I don't know. I mean, that sounds like it could be real. It's fake. Okay. Rathergate. CBS has an unreliable, mentally unstable man with a grudge against George Bush, giving them copies of documents that he claimed were received from a person nobody had been able to prove exists. So this was rubbishing Dan Rather, uh, who was a CBS news anchor. Oh, I don't know. I mean, they're very close, aren't they? They're... It's fake. Uh, I'll give you a. I'll give you a clue, James. These are all fake, right? Okay. NBC's phony exploding GM truck. Dateline reported on November the 17th. 14 minutes, minutes of balance debate capped by 50 seconds, 57 seconds of crash footage that explosively show how a, the gas tanks of certain old GM trucks can catch fire in a sideways collision. <laughs> fake. Jason Blair scandal at the New York Times. I mean, the list goes on. The Rolling Stones rape story about an assault on campus at the University of Virginia. Fake. So, so what's happening is that actually the fake news itself, all it has to do is sound convincing and you're going to believe it. But critically in this sort of post-truth era, you've got to want to believe it or in some cases you know it's fake but you want it to be true so much that you propagate it around to try to influence others so while you yourself are not caught out by the fakeness of the news you want to use it as an instrument to see if you can catch a few gullible people by passing it on so if i if i read a news article all right um about some fake news uh, which I know is fake, which I happen to know is fake. I can use my position of power and influence with you, James, to f to ping it on to you. And because it came from me, you probably won't even think about. Well, hopefully you won't. <laughs> you won't even think whether it's true or not. You say, "Oh, it came from Robin." Therefore, and he's a you know he's a straight shooter. Therefore, this is probably true. So you probably won't put in the kind of intellectual work to make your own decision about whether it's true or not you'll just take it on face value and that's why fake news is insidious but uh, and to be fair we have had this problem if you will for years i mean i know you're familiar with the onion one of the greatest websites in the world yeah. that is satire and there's a lot of times where people have taken onion articles and misinterpreted them and thought they were real i mean I they're idiots oh, yes but there was one where um north korea um uh, took a story from The Onion thinking it was real about North oh, Korea. Oh, yes. Was this something to do with Kim John or what's his name? Um, Kim Jong-un's haircut, I think it was. Or... No, it wasn't he the sexiest man alive. Voted yes, sexiest was... man alive <laughs> for it. the third straight year. And they put it round like it was true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and um, it was picked up by North Korea itself. I mean, but so so what's the difference between satire and fake news? I guess one is propaganda designed to push a political agenda and satire is satire is supposed to be so ridiculous and satire only works in context it works in the context of a satirical soiree a satirical radio program a satirical tv show a comedy act you know satire only works when it's obviously not true and the problem is that fake news while it can you know you can have satirical fake news like you've got with the onion but it has to come from the onion and is often accompanied with the most ludicrous photos pictures mock-ups lash-ups and video shorts taken with clearly with actors with bad wigs to make it look it's the fact that it is convincing is what makes it hilarious the problem is people are so stupid uh, that they will go for it and, and and the fake news industry because that's what it is has uh, obviously jumped onto this bandwagon and produced some of the most creative and intelligent um 
fakery um, that you've you've ever seen. And uh, the problem is that when you do it during an election, it can have an impact on the democratic process, and then it gets really serious. Yeah, I mean, I am what I'm. I've got the Onion up at the moment on my other screen, and the stories are completely ridiculous. Like uh, Joe Biden is sadly realizing that this could be the last time he throws a lit firecracker into a press conference. <laughs> with, with, of course, a mock-up image of Joe Biden holding a lit firecracker. Brilliant. And um, yeah, okay, I yeah, I I see the difference, and I'm so glad that I'm able to look at the Onion while doing the podcast. That makes. I am not. I think that this sort of algorithm will be able to get rid of a lot of fake news, but but I think we're at the point now with the state of the art on fake news creation that the algorithm is going to sh uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think it's going to chuck out as many real stories uh, as it does fake stories. So, you know, it's a very difficult balancing act. We're never going to get rid of it. I'm glad to see this sort of tech. And also, by the way, I don't think this is a tech-tasm, James. Shall I tell you why? Sure. Because having seen, and I'm working on the state of AI at the moment, I can see that it is eminently possible to pick up very nuanced things in written text. Uh, right now using AI is perhaps even better than humans can do it. So I think if it, you know, AI is the right solution to this problem. Let's move on. Okay, Nissan, would you believe, are going to test driverless cars on London's roads next month. We'd be driving around London, James, next month. That's quite impressive. Is this the first case of a London-based um, driverless car? Well, it's more than that, because while Google has been testing its own autonomous vehicles on public roads near its headquarters in California, Nissan have claimed that these driverless cars in London will be the first to hit public roads in Europe. Uh, if that is, of course, that Nissan receives final approval from uh, an unquote, uh, and I'm quoting here from Ars Technica, Tom Mendelssohn, from an undisclosed local authority in London. <laughs> What does that mean? Well, it means we don't know where it is. Otherwise, you know, I'd be out there trying to spot this thing. Apparently, the model of vehicle they're using isn't expect uh, isn't expected to be made commercially available until at least 2020. I don't know whether that means they're going to be testing a prototype future vehicle or whether they've taken an existing Leaf, a current model Leaf, and just equipped it with technology which won't be commercially available to 2020. So I don't quite, I'm not 100% sure what Tom Mendelssohn means by that sentence. Uh, that's really interesting, though, because so so I wonder if they will be doing any advertising for it, you know, and have a little... I mean, they do say, it clearly says by Tom here in the article, secretive tests. So um, I suppose we all know what that means. There'll be secret tests. Well, they do, obviously they want to do this sort of testing secretly, so you so that they, the road conditions aren't affected by gawkers, that people don't feel at risk or in danger, which of course they won't be, I'm sure, um, and that somebody doesn't deliberately try and smash into one just for a bit of fun. Um, can I give you? I'm going to give you uh, uh, two uh, uh, questions about Nissan and one really interesting fact, James, if you're okay. up for it. Yep. Okay. How many? Um, cars what percentage of cars made in the uk are made by nissan oh they make a lot don't they i mean they've got the big plant in sunderland i'd say probably 10 20 percent it's probably a big number 33 percent one no in three way. Wow. Yeah. um how many jobs across the supply chain in britain does nissan provide oh okay well i've got i'm familiar with another car manufacturer in the uk who i think employ about three four thousand i'd say ten thousand eleven thousand 
40,000. And the final one is a fact, which is more cars are made at... uh, By the way, this is not verified, this fact, so please take it with a pinch of salt and feel free to send us in at feedback at techtasm.com. More cars are made in the Nissan factory in Sunderland than are made in the whole of Italy. Wow. Well, hang on. What? Okay, the Italians, though, they're supercars. I mean... Well, they make obviously they don't make as many volume cars. They make a few, don't they? Like the Fiat Five Hundred. I would have. But is that, that, is that actually it. built in in Italy, though? Oh, good question. I don't know. Anyway, more cars made in one plant in Sunderland than the whole of Italy makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah, that's quite quite impressive. Hmm. Not sure there's a tectasm here, James. I'm not too sure either, but let's keep talking while I find out where the Fiat 500 is made. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, look, all right, I would say that uh, I think they're, they're definitely going to do this test. The question is whether it's going to be success or not. Now, if it's a massive failure because they're doing it all in secret, nobody's ever going to know, and therefore it won't shut the program down. So almost I would say that they have to go through this test to determine whether their driverless system is actually working but the outcome will not be impacted by the test this is just part of their usual testing uh, routine and regime and if it goes well it doesn't make any difference compared to if it goes really badly because if it goes badly they just go back to the drawing board fix it again and they do another secret test so actually what they're doing here is not that newsworthy no very true well i've got those numbers for you if you're interested okay So, well, not numbers necessarily, but in Italy, they make, uh, for Fiat, they make the Alfa Romeos, um, the Giulietta, the Giulia, and the Stevelio. Never heard of that. Uh, They they make the Maseratis. The Jeep Renegade is made in Italy. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, But, I mean, you would have actually... Oh, okay, the Fiat 500 is mainly made in Poland. Okay, so... Oh, is it? Oh, okay. That's very interesting. There you go. So I'm guessing, yeah, you're right. Italy doesn't make many cars. I mean, Maserati can't shift that many, can they? So, um, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, isn't that interesting? It is. Is there anything else interesting this week, James? Uh, There is. Finally, uh, we're going to talk about the EU privacy rules. Um, Hurrah. Kelly Fiveash in my favourite website, Ars Technica. Um, and, you know, obviously emphasis on the arse of Technica, yes. um, has um, has written about how uh, the EU is changing and looking to change the privacy rules to strike back at Facebook and Google, who've managed to find a way of getting around them. So basically, now this is quite a complicated article, so I'll try and um, dumb it down and make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um, there's a lot of privacy settings in the web, okay, opt-ins for things, opt-out, so... As you know, when you're moving around Google, the adverts that you see are linked slightly to things that you've done. So if you're going on Amazon and buying a DVD, you might likely see an advert on the rest of the web for that DVD, for example. And basically, there's a lot of cookies that track those kind of things through, um, you know, know, Google, Facebook, etc. And... um, Effectively, Google and Facebook have found a way around some of the privacy settings that may be required for other places. So um, uh, one of the things they're talking about is rather than having um, an opt-out system, which is what exists today, certainly on Google Ads and whatever, there's an opt-in system where privacy is on by default. So uh, it's, it's a little bit complicated, but I mean, effectively, I mean, look at, it's the same with tax law, right? Government makes tax law, accountants figure out a way around it. Privacy law has been made 
tech companies have found a way to figure out how to get around it because their entire business model is based on ad revenue. So, um, well, of course, because they're protecting their shareholders come first, as with any corporation, shareholders come first, not regulations. I mean, I think what they're basically hitting at is, for example, Google itself is covered under some of these privacy laws, but Gmail is not. And that's because Gmail is slightly disconnected from the ad experience. And for example, Facebook is is um, is bound by them, but WhatsApp is not, because WhatsApp sits on top of Facebook. So I guess what the EU wants to do, and they're playing a bit of a cat and mouse game, right, with this with these companies. So what they're trying to do is bring is bring them back in line. But um, what's uh, what's also interesting in this article is that you know those pop up warnings you get for cookies the uh, consent boxes yes um they are being proposed to be scrapped because basically they're ridiculous they are totally ridiculous um because effectively what's happened is whether your website has a cookie at all just to explain to many american listeners in the european union whenever you visit any new website that's publishing content for the first time on any browser uh, on a machine you get a pop-up which says this site uses cookies you must consent to agree to us tracking you with cookies or we can't you can decline them i can't a lot of websites i go to you can't even decline it can you, you uh, just no i just put one on the website a few days ago where you basically just an okay i agree and if you don't like it close the website yeah so um so um and and uh, the law was designed um for tracking cookies uh, that watch what you do again due to ads and that kind of thing but the problem was it was a bit of a catch-all and it included websites for example that use cookies to store what's in your shopping cart well you kind of automatically consent to that by agreeing to shop on the website so therefore you wouldn't mind those cookies so i think what they're trying to do is change the law so if the cookie is used for non-privacy intrusive cookies to improve the internet experience mm-hmm then those will be allowed. But cookies that um, count the number of things you look at and whatever else for tracking and what you know whatever, um, those you'll still need to have a warning for. But again, it's cat and mouse. You know, lots of things will change, and oh, I don't know. It's all a bit. It's all a bit silly. Yeah. So I like the uh, I like the fact that the regulatory body is looking to take care of the experience and make that better. Um, but what they're doing is they're cleaning up their own mess. I mean, they did, they've created this stupid law in the first place. I mean, at the end of the day, look, let's look at fake news. What are they going to do for fake news? Have a warning on every news site saying this news site may contain fake news okay cancel you know i mean it's just ludicrous what they're doing the internet works in a certain way um, and it is down to the individual whether they need they need or want to know how it works or how it doesn't i mean I, when i watch television i i don't need to know whether how quam and multiplexing and dv bt works i don't need to know any of that stuff i need to know i press the button and video and sound comes out of the screen and and i think with with cookies i mean it's putting it front and center but it is so annoying and so invasive i mean you know you do get used to it after a while i'm I'm used to it now but it still makes me seething mad that the eu would interfere with 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 this but it's good to see them backtracking on the mess they made in the first place very true very true i mean yeah i think there's 
is there a tech chasm here? I mean, they're always going to be cleaning up their own mess and making more mess because that's just the nature of kind of law making, right? I'm conflicted between the need to have uh, regulation and interference by government bodies to protect its citizens and for us to have a smooth, frictionless, pleasant experience on the web which makes our digital lives and our physical lives better than it was before. So I'm, I, there's always, this is always going to be a point of contention. Um, as far as the EU is concerned, it looks like they're maturing in their both their understanding and their outlook on this sort of thing. But I would just say this, that governments and regulatory bodies and judges just don't understand tech and they should get some proper learning down their necks or get some proper professionals in that can tell them the right answer. There aren't enough people that know how tech works uh, working in the public sector, in the judiciary, in the EU commission, and there are too many people with old-style legal training and political training who are creating these laws, and they're just a lot of the time they're a joke. So I would say if there's anything, the tech-tasm is the way that technical uh, oversight is given to the internet by people who aren't qualified to do it. Very true. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we did talk about um, South Carolina government wants to put porn blockers on pcs yes that's yeah. right brilliant could that might have been fake news though <laughs> well, very now true. that i think about it it may have had the whiff of fake news yeah, maybe maybe okay well it is what it is um i completely agree um i don't think it'll change though Well, it's a shame, James, but that's it for this week. Listeners, you can find us at facebook.com slash tactasm and contact us at feedback at tactasm.com. We record every Tuesday at about 9pm, so watch out for next week's show. This is me, Sir Robin Yellow. And me, Mr. James Woodall. Asking the question on your behalf. Is it real or is it just a tactasm? Tactasm.